alligators, like some humans we know, often engage in violent fights over territories and mates, yet their wounds rarely get infected. What happens if we tap into that and harness that power? You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Merchant, Associate Professor of Biochemistry at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Dr. Merchant has a lot of teaching responsibilities at the university, and he has many scientific publications, mostly in journals that are way over my head. But his recent work with the serum of alligators got him into National Geographic, all of the current science journals, and many of the news and TV stations. Today we're discussing the alligator serum and its potential to fight off infection in alligators and maybe potentially in humans. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today, Mark. I know you've been a very busy man since the story came out. Uh, It's my pleasure. I'm glad I'm here with you. Thank you. We know you're a biochemist. But what turned you on to working with alligator serum? Was this initially your own observations? Well, yeah, it was my observations and also the observation of a guy named Dr. Adam Britton down in Australia who had made some observations as well. Alligators are very territorial animals. They engage in, you know, territorial disputes that can result in very serious injuries, including loss of entire limbs at times. Uh, But despite the fact that they live out in aqueous marsh environments, that are home to a lot of potentially infectious microbes, these enormous wounds seem to heal very rapidly and and without much sign of an infection, which is uh, obviously the source of great fascination to us. So did you find this out, or is this a common science phenomenon that everyone has known? No one had ever done any studies on this and and published it in a peer-reviewed journal or anything like that. But I, I think that the alligator had, among locals, had sort of had some fabled resistance to infection, but no one had ever put that to the test, and so that's what we started doing about five or six years ago. So what then do we know about the alligator's ability to recognize antigens and react? Does it really do that faster than the rate of that response in our own immune system? Well, it's really not a recognition of antigen. Obviously, there's two major components to the immune system. There's innate immunity and acquired immunity. I'm studying the innate immune response of alligators, which innate immune response, by definition, does not require previous exposure, right? So it's not, we're not looking at, say, T-cell memory things or or any kind of immunological memory. We're looking at uh, the upfront, at-the-ready response of these alligators. And our initial studies focused on the antibacterial properties of alligator serum, just the serum to see. And we asked the question, can their serum when challenged with microbes, rise to the challenge and and kill those microbes? And the answer was yes, 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 and yes. And as we delved further into the mechanisms, we found out that it was their serum complement activity, which was very, very potent and very broad-acting. That's what I was going to ask next. Is it a special type of complement or a more potent complement? Well, their their complement is similar to ours. Our complement system, which most of you know is probably a, a... system of about 10 proteins that circulate as inactive precursors, but when exposed to non-self antigenic substances, uh, becomes activated and results in the formation of a big macromolecular complex in the outer structure of the, of the microbes, and it, and it causes the cells to lice, the, you know, the bacteria or fungal cells or whatever we're looking at. But it turns out, I think the difference between the alligators and the humans is that uh, biochemically speaking, we have 
one isoform of all the different proteins. We have one C3 protein, one C4, one C5. I think alligators have may have multiple isoforms. I also think that their complement proteins are present in greater abundance than ours, uh, higher concentrations. And that allows them to respond to a broader range of, of microbes and also uh, have more potent activity. Without any previous memory for these, the, the, the things you tested, HIV virus, maybe some bacteria, MRSA or fungi, no memory of this, but the serum reacted based on an antibody antigen complex? Not based on antibody. It was antibody independent. Remember, antibody means that you have had previous exposure. Uh-huh. These are microbes that these alligators had never been exposed. And so it's not based on antibody. It's based on complement activation. Complement activation of the system. Now, now just to just to to uh, just to to uh, define this, there are several different mechanisms of complement activation. One of them, the classical uh, pathway, is antibody antigen dependent. Okay. But the alternative pathway is not. It is antibody independent, and in fact, we showed through mechanistic studies that it is the alternative pathway of complement activation. I see, I uh, see. By which, that, by which the alligators are. So it's, it's not antibody dependent, which means it's not dependent on previous exposure. How did you actually conduct your studies? How does one get alligator blood? Well, I roll up my sleeves and collect it. We, we go out at night, out in the marsh. I live 10 minutes away. I can have my boat out in the marsh, scan the spotlight at night with a very high-powered spotlight, and their eyes are highly reflective. You can see them from a great distance. Uh, approach the alligator, you slip a noose around its neck, Lock down and hang on. <laughs> and uh, once we subdue the animal and tape the mouth shut, I draw blood from the spinal vein, which is uh, just dorsal to the uh, spinal column. It's actually in the vertebral column. Uh, there's a big venous pool, and you can stick a needle right between the vertebrae and draw as much blood as you want. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Merchant, a biochemist at McNeese State University in Louisiana, who's been working on some very interesting studies with alligator serum. Now, I understand your work included viruses and fungi. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, we certainly showed a lot of antibacterial activity. We've shown antifungal activity against, I think, six or seven or eight different species of pathogenic fungi in, that they're all candida yeasts, including candida albicans, which is obviously a real nosocomial problem here in the States. We've also shown a lot of activity against viruses, but I just want to caution everybody, we don't have an antiviral agent. You know, you got to remember bleach kills viruses too, but I don't recommend you treat patients with IV bleach. So we have something that will kill viruses, but those studies were conducted with a naked virus in a test tube, which is very different from killing as opposed to killing viruses that are in, in a human in a serum in a lymphocyte? Or in a T lymphoblast or yeah. anything. It's very different. So these were in vitro studies. I don't want people to think I have some canned antiviral drug ready for the market. That's just not the case. No, but it's still, it's still very interesting because HIV is still fairly you know, resistant to different mechanisms that in human beings that our system tries to monitor response with. And so what's different about the way the alligator serum approaches the HIV molecule? Well, first of all, I think that these small peptides are surface active, whereas most, say, antibacterial drugs will target the ribosome or something internal to the cell and disrupt either DNA replication or protein synthesis or something like that. These small peptides, cationic peptides, 
interact with the phospholipid membrane of uh, bacteria, fungi, viruses, whatever, they disrupt the outer, outer shell of these microorganisms and produce cell lysis very rapidly, in fact. Isn't there a danger if, if and I know there's many steps, but in terms of you were doing this even with human sera, not even in vivo, but in vitro, is there a chance that the human sera would react on the substance itself and consider it foreign and attack it? No, that's a very good point. I'm not very optimistic that once we isolate and determine the structure of these proteins, that we will be able to use them internally for humans, simply for the reasons that you stated. You know, our, our body would recognize these as non-self and launch a huge immunological attack, your fever would spike to 106 or 107, seizures and death. I mean, that's no good. I certainly do think that we could probably, almost certainly use them for topical applications. Say, for instance, diabetic patients who often have lower limb uh, lesions, extremities, they don't heal very well simply because the poor circulation, they're often infected. And in fact, now they're infected with, with superbugs that are resistant to everything under the sun. We think that maybe as a topical application, that would be a good treatment. Uh, in addition, you know, burn patients have their primary defense infection, the skin compromised, and very slow healing injuries, often infected. So things like that. that that's very exciting possibility. That makes a lot of sense. Is the serum of the alligator, is it virulent to other human cells as well then? Well, yes, but keep in mind the most promising things we're looking at is not the serum. The serum is human complement. We would never use alligator complement as a drug. It's a series of 10 proteins. They're not very stable. What we're looking at now are small cationic peptides that are produced by their white blood cells. These leukocytic extracts that we have show that there may be three or four different small cationic peptides in this material, and we're trying to isolate those right now so we can get a, a good uh, look at the structure. And once we have the structure, we can start to uh, study the mechanism of action of its antibacterial action. You know, again, you're speaking to a clinical audience, and, and your research certainly sparks us intellectually. But what would be the next step? Suppose that uh, funding and money and staff were not an issue. We have to isolate those proteins. We have to isolate them so that we know uh, the structure. Once we have the structure, we will look at the mechanism of the antimicrobial activity. And then, you know, if we like what we see, then it, you, you'll start clinical trials. And, of course, you know, phase one clinical trials is, is it toxic to humans? I mean, that's the very first thing you have to do. I'm sure all the MDs listening here and the clinical people understand that when you start clinical trials, the question is not, is this an effective treatment? The question is, is it toxic to humans? Right, right, uh, phase the one. First thing, the first thing you have to, to get, get over that point, right? Now, where have you got funding from in the past, and is this likely to change? Can you get, get more dollars now because you're published and results really are exciting? Uh, right now, I, I've got funding from the state of Louisiana, the Board of Regents Fund. I'm looking probably in the future at federal funding, maybe NSF, maybe NIH, I don't know. And, and of course... I think that if we can isolate the protein and start looking at the structure, I'm hoping that drug companies would be interested in, in uh, funding. So is the actual work to isolate the protein that difficult if you had the money in the, the lab space? It is very difficult. There have been a number, a, a large number, in fact, of cationic antimicrobial peptides isolated from plants and insects all the way up to humans. But for some reason, there has been none isolated in any reptilian species that I'm aware of. I don't know if there's something different about the reptiles, but it's been very trying. Uh, we've been at this for a couple of years, and we think we always think we're so close, but you know, close but no cigar. Um, so far, uh, we, we we always think we're a couple months away of of having 
an isolated protein so that we can begin to look at the structure. But we haven't. We're not there yet. But we think we think we're very close still. Last question: Where can our listeners go for more information? Well, they can they can visit my my horribly outdated website. I, I really need to update my website. I'm not an associate professor, not an assistant. Everybody thinks I'm an assistant, but I just haven't updated my my website. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, uh, yeah, that's my fault. It's www.faculty.mcneese.edu/mmerchan. M M E R C H A N. And McNeese is spelled M is in Mary, C is in Cat, N is in Nancy, E E S E. Thank you so much. Thank you. We want to thank Dr. Merchant for being my guest today. And we've been discussing harnessing the potential of alligator serum. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or to listen to our full body of podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.